Hi, everybody. My name is Erica Compulsor Reader. I do have pictures. I don't think I can travel if somebody... <laughs> Who's timing? Is it, is it possible to do... Um, I had this all figured out perfectly. Never mind. <laughs> it is too early for me right now to think, think about that. So... Erica, compulsory reader to qualify, I have nine and a half years of abstinence out of relapse, and I'm maintaining over 100 pounds of weight loss with my higher powers help. So I am truly, truly grateful to be here, and I don't need the book. Um, where do I start? I had the timing all perfect because I can stay in what it was like for a very long time. It's very easy. It's very rote. It's like, but it's boring to me. But at the same time, I need to tell you what my story is about. And uh, I love the acoustics in here. I'm a singer, so I might, you know, break into song. Who knows? Um, but I, I just always like to say I'm a dyed-in-the-wool compulsive overeater. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. I'm a 100-pounder, and, you know, I do not eat like a lady. I mainline food. I'm somebody that when... All bets are off. All bets are off. There is no holding of a job. There is no, I dropped out of high school. There is no functioning. By nature, I'm naturally an isolator as it is. And when the food comes in, um, there's basically, you know, if my teeth get brushed, uh, we're lucky. And leaving the house are, is usually just a reason to go and find and peruse the aisles to get the right and perfect fix that will fix me and make me better and tomorrow I'll start anew which for me tomorrow did not come um, I was my heaviest was when I was 19 18 19 years old I was 250 pounds and I have to say that growing up in that space of you know after puberty I just started gaining weight and growing up being heavy in school was not pleasant I know I'm sure some of you experienced that and I was never able to get the weight off but I had all these dreams and illusions of becoming this thin girl that would be popular and life would you know be fantastic and um and that was one more time like the illusionist thinking, the magical thinking, like if this happens, then everything will be perfect. And that later came to bite me in the butt, sorry, recording, <laughs> um, later on because I carried that belief with me for a very long time. And I had a lot of pain with my, my compulsive overeating. I did a lot of changes with my schools. I think I went to 10 different schools in my time. We would always move right outside of the school district. So I had to start anew, and I didn't make friends easily. I made friends with the administration, like we were all cool. But um, I did not do well with people my own age. I didn't trust them. I crossed the street when I saw them. I didn't want to be teased. I had already put up this guard of don't come near me. And, you know, my life was coming home and eating the counter picnic, which is what my, my mom and I called it. She was my binge buddy. And um, that's how my life proceeded. And I basically had very few friends. And as I said, eventually I dropped out of high school. And, you know, my only saving grace was that I was introduced to riding horses when I was four years old. So that was the only thing that got me outside of laying in bed and um, calling the Domino's man every single day, which is what I did day in and day out. I still know the phone number in Burbank, and I haven't had one of those in 
um, gosh, 10, 10, 15 years. So by the grace of this program and my higher power. And so eventually I got into program in uh, 1991. My mom was my Eskimo. And, you know, suddenly for me, my binge buddy and my everything, because I'm an only child and I have a single, you know, single mom raised by a single mom who's my binge buddy. Suddenly she's not there eating with me and like, well, that's no fun. And she was still um, gentle enough to not push the program at me. And that was very important because I'm very stubborn, clearly. And... um, and I got into the rooms and the seed was planted and I gratefully worked the steps. I was introduced to a sponsor that was also an AA and I was taught that you work the steps in order to recover. And so I had five years of abstinence and I came in as an agnostic. I always like to share that because for those who are still trying to find their concept of a power greater than themselves, we have an old timer in the rooms. I just love him so much. And he always says, the only thing you need to know about a higher power is it's not you. And I'm like, oh, thank you for that because, you know, I can make anything my higher power. Even though I have a firm belief in God today, I can make fear my higher power in a second. I can make what you think of me my higher power. I can make my paycheck my higher power. Like, it's very, very easy. But to know that something greater than me can do for me what I can't do for myself. And so I came in as an agnostic, and somewhere in those five years, the belief in God hit me in a meeting. It was profound, and it was like a moving experience where I'm like beside myself in tears at this like regular meeting, and people are like, you know, you know, I just lost my crap. I was like so, I just, I just suddenly believed in God, and it was a miracle for me. Um, but I did leave. I, it's so funny. I just went back to um, Hawaii after 20 years. Uh, last month and the last time I went I went with a friend in program one of my only friends from one of my only meetings and we had gone to Maui and eaten through the entire island and um, I was we got in a huge fight and I flew home early because I hated her so much like that was my experience of program of um, vacationing and being on my way out I was already like on the precipice of really just throwing it all away and I did in Technicolor and um, I left and uh, for eight years and I um, got into the beautiful world of love addiction I don't recommend it to anybody it's highly you know um, for me it was men or food you know if you're paying attention to me and I found you attractive then suddenly I could eat less and if there was nobody in the picture I would gain weight 30 pounds in a month and it just went on and on like that and I just tried to manage and control my weight on my own for those eight years. I would occasionally come back to OA and visit, but it wasn't, I wasn't ready for it. I was still quite bitter and blamed everything on the program. I don't know how that works, but I did. And I finally came back on my knees in 2002, um, just in such severe withdrawals over the other, the love addiction. And uh, I was eating everything that wasn't nailed down. And I'm usually, I like to say, you know, I'm a bit of a snob with my binge foods. You know, I like high quality whole foods, you know, whole paycheck type of stuff. And I was eating like Circle K, you know, 99 cents. And I was shoving it in as fast as I can. And it still didn't take the pain away. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this about? You know, what is it, drugs? Are drugs next? Because both of my parents are addicts, and uh, addicts and compulsive overeaters. And for me, I'm too much of a control freak to do drugs. I want to be 
present, even though I'm drunk on food, I still feel like I have my capacity <laughs> to me and I can like, you can't totally take advantage of me if I'm drunk on food. But if I'm high, now that's another story. So I was between that rock and a hard place where the only answer was OA and I knew it was really the only answer. Um, and I'd had illusions of wiring my jaw shut, you know, I'd done Fen Fen, I'd done all these different things to try to fix it myself and I couldn't. And I came back in and um, I was um, bitter, pissed off, had my arms folded. I didn't want to talk to any of you. Don't you know who I am? I used to have five years of abstinence, blah, 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 blah. And little by little that, that icy facade melted and I um, worked the steps. I worked um, in the APOR program, Applied Principles of Alcoholic Recovery, and so I got to really get into the readings of like AA Comes of Age and learning about the necessary need for ego reduction and how every morning my, my ego wakes up with me wanting to basically kill me because my addict's mind, you know, everybody's out to get you and life is scary and you can't get by without your drug of choice, which is food and blah, 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 blah. And it, and it puffs up every morning, and unless I have something to counteract that, which for me is the spiritual program, the 12 steps, and my connection to my higher power, then all is lost. And so those, uh, through, I had three years of abstinence, I got down to a decent weight, and as I said, that old idea of being thin will fix everything came back to haunt me. And I was a normal size, or just about a normal, you know, within the healthy body range, and I was pissed that it wasn't what I thought it would be. Where are the men? Where's the fabulous body? Where is the popularity? Where is the... Um, and I proceeded to take my will back. And I suddenly thought I could manage and control my own food. And my relapse, I could talk for a very long time about it. It was, I'll just say this, it was agonizing. It was um, a year in program, and I did it with my fellows watching, and I got uh, back up to 220 pounds, and I was just a mess. And the only thing that kept me coming back was sitting in the rooms and seeing the light in people's eyes, the people that were recovering, the people that were working the program, that feeling that I missed desperately of waking up in the morning and knowing that I didn't try to damage and destroy my body the night before with food, not having that hangover, not having that today will be different, and then by 10 a.m. I'm searching for the next thing. Um, I wanted that back, and at the same time, the sugar and the flour for me and everything else was so strong and so intense that it had me, and it had me good. And I, what I needed, I don't recommend, I don't wish a relapse on anybody, but for this ego-driven, self-centered, thinking I can do it my way person, I had to really crash and burn like that. And I had to crash and burn in a way that... I had to get that, that step one to my core that I am powerless over food. Not just like, hi, I'm a compulsive overeater and that qualifies me as for step one. For me, it had to be, I cannot get in the ring with this disease. I will, it will kill me. It wants me to be 500 pounds. It wants me to lose my limbs. It wants me to be buried in a box that's specially made because I'm so big. That's what this disease wants for me. And it, and it had me. It had me good. And I just kept fighting and fighting and fighting and praying and crying. And then I'd eat and then I'd not eat. And it finally got to the point where the, as, and I love this saying, the pain of eating became greater than the pain of recovery. 
And, you know, I know that I've heard people say a lot in meetings, you know, oh, the emotions come up when you're abstinent and it's so hard and it's such a struggle. But for me, I found that the beautiful thing is, is that there's so many, you know, the spiritual toolkit is laid at my feet. Like I have all these tools and all these ways to walk through those feelings that I wasn't raised with. I was raised with makeup whatever you can and try to get through and survive like there was no spiritual toolkit happening and um, I know better today and for me in my experience the pain of compulsively overeating far outweighs any and I have to say any emotion that will come up for me and I've walked through some very troubling dark scary stuff in, in these last nine years um, but I just got to the point where abstinence was more important um, in the San Fernando Valley office. It says there's a sign that says abstinence is, is, is it still there, Holly? <laughs> um, abstinence is the most important thing without exception. And I wanted that back again, and that shift happened for me. And when people would call me, especially after I started really abstaining after my relapse that were in relapse, they're like, how did you do it? And I'm like, I just kept pouring on the program until the desire to recover was just 51% stronger. And I know it sounds silly, but it's like the scale, for lack of something better to say, had to tip in the favor of my recovery. And it was uh, like swimming upstream for a very long time. But I wanted it desperately because I cannot function, I cannot exist, I cannot have any kind of life um, if I'm eating. It's just impossible. It's just impossible. And during that relapse, I, I had to give up my job. As I said, I didn't leave the house. I had no clothes that fit me. It was, it was pretty hellish for me. Um, and so that was nine and a half years ago, and boy, what an experience that gave me. And there's two things that are, have been the cornerstone that I'll read very quickly out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that have really, that came out of that um, experience. Um, one, the first one is on page 98, middle of the page, job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking or eating so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence upon God. Burn the idea in the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts in God and clean house. And for me, that's putting a job ahead of my abstinence, putting a person, a place, a situation, an emotion, anything ahead of my abstinence is, is a death sentence for me. And the other one on page 450 at the bottom, then I realized that I had to separate my sobriety from everything else that was going on in my life. No matter what happened or didn't happen, I couldn't drink. In fact, none of these things that I was going through had anything to do with my sobriety. The tides of life flow endlessly for better or worse, both good and bad. And I cannot allow my sobriety to become dependent on these ups and downs of living. Sobriety must have a life of its own. And that's what I have today that is the tremendous gift is I have sobriety with food. I don't mess with my abstinence, and that doesn't come from me. That comes from a power greater than myself. Um, I used to try to be technically abstinent. I always like to use the air quotes, Techni I'm technically abstinent. I would call people saying, I'm not sure if I'm abstinent. I don't know. I did this. I gained 24 pounds. But I'm still abstinent. It's okay. And, um, 
you know, that didn't work for me. And those technically abstinent, what I did is every few months I would have like a binge within my technical abstinence. And those became closer together. And I can't afford that today. I can't afford to think that I can just pad it a little. And what my abstinence looks like is um, there's three, really basically three prongs to my recovery today in the, the food arena. There's my alcoholic food list, um, which is, you know, the top of the list is sugar and white flour, or basically white and wheat flour, um, and then a list of other foods. And I know that, that if I ingest any of those, it triggers the phenomenon of craving. The obsession of the mind just... It just goes off and running, and and everything's lost at that point. Um, And then there's my abstinence where I don't eat in between my my meals no matter what. If I lick a spoon, that's it. Like, I've broken my abstinence. Just like an alcoholic taking a drink, it's very black and white for me. And then I have my food plan, and um, I plan my food every morning. I have a calorie count for me that works because I had to learn that, like, an apple the size of my head is, like, probably not the best idea if I want to maintain a healthy body weight. Like, I used to try to... You know, oh, you want me to have a piece of chicken? Well, I'll have 10 ounces of chicken, and I'll have, you know, just the biggest of everything. And uh, so that's what has worked for me. And all of those things, you know, food plan, alcoholic foods, abstinence, they all have the same importance for me. They are all one and the same because if, if I start piddling around with one, then the rest of them are lost. So um, that doesn't happen for everybody. I've yet to work with a sponsee that, you know, can have that kind of food plan, but that's what works for me is the black and whiteness of it. Um, And just about, let me take a sip. Pardon the recording. I'm having some tea. All right. So I want to talk about today and... um, you know, the, these nine years have been about, my sponsor's very big on baby steps, and that is huge for me because I'm into the, the thinking of zero to 60, and if you can't muster up zero to 60, then do zero. <laughs> and I've done a lot of zero in my life. Um, and I will talk about my trip to Hawaii, thank you, five minutes, um, because it was mind-blowing. I do a lot of work day in and day out. I have... A routine that I do and um, and I work on issues as they come up and I follow sponsored direction um, you know I give a lot of service and I'll be working on stuff and I'll be judging my recovery like why aren't you this way and why aren't you that and why aren't you walking on spiritual air and why aren't you I love to say farting flowers and why isn't everything beautiful and and then something like this trip happened where First of all, I never wanted to travel alone in my life. I went without knowing anybody. I hadn't been on a real vacation in 20 years. I hadn't been on a plane in 10. God knows I would never spend the money on something like this. Um, the, forget the food. I mean, me going to a restaurant, I have to, like, vet the restaurant and, like, what you put in your food and look at the meal and look at the menu. And I, like, went to a retreat center, and trusted that the food would be okay. And I did bring backups with me. Let's not be kidding ourselves. But I didn't fly with a scale, which I was tempted to do. And I didn't freak out at, you know, every meal I had to ask for something special because I have certain requirements. And uh, 
And I was taking care of it every single meal for seven days. I mean, if that isn't amazing. Um, and the fact is that I bitched and whined for five years about all my friends are going to Hawaii and I can't go because nobody wants to go with me. Wah, wah, wah. And finally, I was like so tired of hearing myself, like something shifted. And I was like, you know what? I don't care how that, this happens. I'm going. And these are all were all these things that took place were like, who is this person right now? What is going on here? Is this like a shift that's happening? And what it is is my work, I just turned around and suddenly a bunch of things just came to fruition. And it was like, wow. You know, somebody that had trouble looking you in the eye and making friends with I made friends everywhere I went. I was scared to death of flying three months ago, and I was had beautiful flights each time. I mean, it was just like one thing after another, and I could talk forever about the trip itself because it took me in my comfort zone and put it in like one of those snow globes and went, shook it up like it was one of those experiences. But it showed me that I don't have to live in my rigid little box, and uh, it just took a lot of baby steps to get me there. So I have to remember. When things aren't going my according to my plan of how my life should be, that judgment defect, it's so strong in me. It's like I don't judge people anywhere near what I, how I judge, sorry, how I judge myself. And that doesn't work for me today. Like the more I can sit in this acceptance of and yes, page 417 or 449 in the in the previous edition in Alcoholics Anonymous big book, you know, and acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. And acceptance is the answer in how I look at myself today. It's like, who am I to say that God made a mistake with how I'm living my life? Because the second I get into comparing with, well, that person's fabulous, and that person's so spiritual, and that person's this, and that person's that, I take every bit of growth and and flourishing that my life has done, and I just piss all over it and um, I do have to say that the these nine years have been about learning to bring more faith in and more of my higher power in each day and not just being you know I love to say wake up hi God good morning I hope I carry out your will today and then checking in at night thanks a lot it's been great you know like I have to be like okay God please show me what to say here please give me the courage to do whatever here please give me the words please Give me the willingness. Sometimes it's like the willingness to be willing. I'm one of those that I believe in praying for the willingness if it's not there because that's what has helped me. Um, and I do know I'm probably going to run out of time shortly, but um, the one thing I did not want to forget about talking about is gratitude. Uh, for me, you know, as I said, I have that addict mind where I can, out of 500 good things, I can look at the one thing that is not to my satisfaction and just harp on it and let it just be, beat the drum on that. And the more I look at gratitude of thank you for this day, thank you for X, Y, and Z, thank you for my breath, thank you for the beauty, the beauty in my life, thank you for my abstinence, you know, the fact that I can go to bed at night and hit the pillow and know that I was abstinent today and and have a program and a structure that if I, thank you and I'll wrap up, that if I stepped on somebody's toes and I owe them an amends or I did something that wasn't good towards myself, that I have a program that helps me keep my side of the street clean so that I don't have to turn back to the food again. 
So this program is amazing. This program has changed my life. It's the core and the foundation for everything else. And uh, I'm nobody special, so it's here for all of us. So thank you for letting me share. Okay, this is time for questions only. There is no sharing in this meeting. If you also, if you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Um, you're being recorded. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Go ahead. Okay, so the question is um, essentially how have my relationships progressed in recovery um, and food, being in the food versus being out of the food and working the steps. Uh, for me, it's definitely been a process, and I have to say that I have much more fulfilling relationships than I ever have. Um, I've learned to not take things so personally. I mean, even in abstinence, I had a very thin skin and a very self-centered way of looking at things. Um, like everything must be taken personally, which is such a hysterical thing. So the more I get to look back at, um, you know, it wasn't personal and being reminded a lot, especially before I could quite get it myself, what was my part? Um, because when I was in the food especially, I was, even on my evaluations at work, she does good work, but she has the habit of pointing her finger at everybody and saying, they did this and they did that and they did that. And that was my natural tendency in everything, is always playing the victim and always being about so-and-so did such to me. And as it says in the big book, you know, inevitably there's something that I did to cause that to happen for, for the most part. And so the more I've looked at what is my part, it takes that charge of, you know, how dare they? And they did this and they did that. Um, and the other thing that's changing is I'm learning to be more authentic and speak my truth more. Um, I have that personality where I'm not necessarily a doormat, but I have a people-pleasing component. So it's like I'll speak my truth, and then I'll, I used to get in knots about the ramif possible ramifications of it. And now I've learned that if it matters to me truly, I can speak my truth with love. And if it means that that person doesn't take it well or doesn't want to be a part of my life, then they're not meant to be a part of my life. And that's been huge. And I do have to just add on to that um, that I've, I've gone to another program as well for help with relationships because, as I said, I did not grow up with any of these tools in my toolkit. So, um, and I'm just grateful to have sponsored direction and, and ladies in my posse that I can call and say, I don't quite know how to handle this. Can you, can you help me? In, and it's helped me in every area to grow. And then there's always room for, for growth, for sure. Um, so I hope that answers it. Thank you. Else? Any other questions? So you said that when you were binging, that life was scary, and you had to start watching this kind of guy. Did it ever come back to the story of life was scary? What was the final part? Did it ever come back to the story of life was scary? Okay, the question is. 
Does the feeling that life is scary ever come back in abstinence? And if so, what do I do? Um, all the time. My, as I said, my mind has that wired as, you know, I said I can make fear my higher power. It's an automatic go-to. Um, and what has helped me tremendously, well, A, outreach calls to people that are going to lead me back to my higher power and lead me back to faith, not people that are going to say, oh, my God, the sky is falling, let's go hide. Like, because there are people that will do that, um, God bless them, but that doesn't help me. Um, to be reminded by my sponsor of all the times that things have worked out, to remind myself that I am wrong 99.9% of the time when it comes to fear and projection. Um, staying in today is a huge thing because this is a one day of the time program, but my mind doesn't naturally go that way. So if I'm not in today, is everything okay right now at this very moment? Do I have everything I need? You know, if I can stay there, then things are a lot calmer. Um, and the two sayings in program that have saved my ass when all else fails is um, God is either everything or God is nothing. And I can't remember the other one, but another one that works for me is uh, this too shall pass. Um, but I just know that I once had a sponsor had me make a list of all the times where things had worked out for me when I'd been afraid, and I would go back and look at it. So I try to keep a mental kind of Rolodex of when I'm in fear of, but wait a minute, all these things, pretty much everything has worked out. So there's really just, just the illusion of fear. And so that's a constant daily thing for me. And I find that the more I work the steps and the more I build that faith muscle, the more that I don't go down that rabbit hole as quickly and for as long as I used to. So it may take me the rest of my life to not be afraid. I doubt it. Um, it might never happen. But I find that the, the time I spend in fear is a lot less as each year goes by. So. Sure. Um, the question is, I have certain daily practices. What are they? Um, I wake up in the morning and I have my readings. So I read out of a couple of daily readers. I usually read a page or two out of the big book or one of the 12 and 12s. And then I work, I believe firmly on writing on whatever step I'm on every day, which will eventually get read to my sponsor. Um, for me, that does the rewiring of the brain in something different than journaling, which I do as well. Um, because when I'm writing out the steps and writing out, you know, how I feel about what I just read, it just does something. It starts to shift my thinking in a way that's different than journaling. Um, I probably didn't explain that well, but it, it has made a huge difference for me. And so whatever step I'm on, I do some writing on that. And then for me, my journaling is in the form of a God letter. And I start the God letter with, you know, thank you, God, for this day. I list gratitude. And then I list whatever's going on, whatever I'm afraid of, whatever I have coming up, whatever... Um, whatever I need to just turn over and I start listing all the things that I turn over to my higher power um, whether it's good, bad, indifferent, whatever um, and then I ask God to help me carry out his will today and to, you know, if I'm, I'm somebody that 
you know, today I was on my way over here with a fellow and I had some good laughs and I haven't honestly laughed in a week because there's been some challenges in my family with a sick family member. And I'll ask God to help me laugh today and for God's sakes, I end up laughing that day. I mean, it's just crazy. And then I, I just thank God and, and say I love you and close it out. And um, for me, some other things that happen every day are meditation. Um, I used to start, I used to meditate for three minutes a day with a timer and it drove me freaking crazy. I couldn't stand it. Um, but I, then I learned to do guided meditations and now I'm very active in my church becoming a practitioner and meditation is a very big part. So I meditate once or twice a day. And that has helped me tremendously with my anxiety and just being more open to listening to what my higher power wants to tell me. Um, on a daily basis, I also um, have a 10-step that goes out to my sponsor every night. As I said, I plan my food in the morning. I send my sponsor my food in the evening. And um, I work with a sponsee, and I have several service positions. I serve on the board, and... Um, and I do go to meetings and, you know, for me, people say, oh, that sounds like so much. <laughs> and I'm like, but really, no, if it were, you know, if you could tell somebody that they could do these prescribed things and not have something like terminal like cancer, I'd be like, absolutely. Um, and as I said, the pain of overeating and the exhaustion that came with the hunt, the avoidance, the manipulating, the control, trying to find the right answer was so much worse than, gee, I'm going to sit down for a half an hour in the morning and do these things, and I'm going to talk to my sponsor. And, like, it, to me, it's a, it, it's a no-brainer. So, thank you. Go ahead. Uh, the question is, has steps eight and nine helped me to be a bit more gentle with myself? Um, hmm. For me, I, I'm sure it has in a way. I'm sure it has a lot. But when I think of steps eight and nine, I feel like the freedom of having carried around the burden of guilt and shame my whole life. And... Um, that for me, like steps four and five and eight and nine, like I think of them in the same facet. And so, and I've, I've learned that with it steps eight, with step eight, I have to forgive that person before I make amends. Um, otherwise, it's kind of like half-assed, like I don't really mean this. Um, and so that's where a lot of peace comes. And also seeing that, you know, in my fourth step, all the things that I did, you know, and learning to be okay with those things and releasing them and sharing them with somebody. So when I go to do my, my ninth step, I no longer have that, oh, I am, I got my stuff together. You know, it's like, well, yes, I've done wrong as well. And so my ninth steps, as scary as they were, a lot of them, um, were so amazingly freeing. And every one of them turned out beyond my expectations, where I, like... I had pictures of, like, being carted off in some of them, like, take her away, she's pure evil, spawn of Satan, you know, and uh, that's not what happened, and, yeah, so I, 
So coming back in general to just accepting myself more is, I think I look at it the flip side, is the more that I see that I do, the less I hold other people of this high standard of you have to be perfect because I realize that I'm not perfect and in step two, the insanity of how I think and how I approach things, thank you. so, yeah, that bears more thinking about. So thank you for that question. Go ahead. Do you remember the cafeteria lessons where you were in your step work? Had you gone through all the health steps before you? Before I relapsed? Um, so the question is, thinking back, did I go through all the steps before I had relapsed? Um, yes, I did. Having said that, I hadn't fully, as I said, I needed to really get step one because I feel like if I don't fully have step one, then I don't get step two and I don't get step three and on and on. Um, And I'm a firm believer for me that if I'm drunk on food, I'm not going to get the step work. It's not going to work for me. And and it always goes back to step one. And in actuality, it goes back for me to step zero, which is the doctor's opinion. The allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind, really getting that, the phenomenon of craving, once it is triggered, all bets are off. So, um, yeah, I do believe that... I worked the steps to the best of my ability before my relapse, but there were more lessons that I needed to learn in humility so that that I could go at them from a deeper perspective and actually apply them rather than just, because I'm a good student and I can, you know, give you the A paper, but that doesn't mean I'm using them in the rest of my life. So I hope that answers your question. We have a few more minutes in the orange. Um, so if my abstinence was three meals and a snack and nothing in between, I could eat what felt like a binge within a meal. That was probably technically a binge within a, in a meal. And so if it didn't have, I think at the time, sugar and flour or whatever it, it was, if it didn't have that in it and it was, it was in the parameters of a meal, it had a beginning and an end, I, all bets were off. And that's not how it looks today. So I think the question, I, I think I forgot, did I say the question to the recording? Um, what was a binge like in my technical abstinence? So today that's not what it looks like. It's, it's an actual meal that's planned out that um, is within my calorie count. And, you know, there is no question if I'm, I'm moving into that territory. There, it, it's no gray area for me. So I hope that answers it for you. Anybody else? Um, thanks for sharing. Do you, um, you've mentioned working the steps, it seems like, multiple times. Um, are you of the belief that you just you work them and then again you just start over right away? You have gaps in between, you work them differently each time? Okay. Yeah, the question is, do I believe in working the steps multiple times and do I work them the same each time or differently? Um, I'm somebody that believes that once you get to 12, you go back to 1. Um, not saying that I don't live in 10, 11, and 12 each day, but um, 
I believe in going back and each time it's a richer and different experience and I have worked different four steps and I have I work out of the AA and the OA and another program so there's always something different um, coming and right now I had always been frustrated with not feeling like I could dig deep enough with six and seven like it was just not making sense to me and I've been doing an, a study of six and seven I've been in it for like eight months now and it's taking and it's going to take a lot longer because I really want to have a, a deeper experience with releasing my character defects and being willing to um, I always heard the term it's moving away from you know they're always going to be there but I don't have to make them you know my go-to uh, so yes I, I tried once to take a pause and like live and just live in 10 11 and 12 and it didn't work for me as I said like when I am actually sitting down and writing on them it does something to me that helps to shift my perspective and my thinking so thank you I think we're just about out of time we have one minute. Go ahead. Is there a go? Thank you for your share. Is there a go-to tool that you go to if you find the unwillingness start to rise and want to take back your will, or don't want to be at a meeting or whatever, whatever the you know, taking back your will might guide itself in? Uh, so, is there a go-to tool that I use if I want to take back my will, or I find my place nice? myself in that unwillingness um, and I'll make this quick um, the first thing is I just start to pray um, I'll, I can make outreach calls if I tell my sponsor that's usually like white lightning and whatever that is like it, that's like the you know okay because my sponsor is very into the solution so like then we map out what what do we need to do here sometimes it takes me a while to get to that point um, and for me if all else fails I'm not real big on it but when I do it if I get on my knees and say the seven step prayer um, things change there is a surrender there and um, I also think back to the pain and degradation of being, what relapse causes for me, and that will get me willing pretty fast. So thank you for letting me share.